0: Welcome to Adapt Energy, a Pantech design podcast. As the world pivots to new forms of energy, now more than ever, it is critical that we explore new ideas and automated technologies to adapt to a changing energy market. On Adapt Energy, you will learn about these technologies and trends straight from the leading experts in the industry as we seek to answer a simple question. What is energy automation and why does it matter to you? Hello and welcome to Adapt Energy, a Pantech Design podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of the show. Now, today we're going to be discussing the importance of clean and constant power in light of an unreliable grid. And joining me today to discuss this, you've heard his voice on here before. His name is Troy Morgan, founder and CEO of Pantech Design. Troy, good to talk to you today.
1: Absolutely, Tyler. Happy to be back on these with you and really excited to to, talk about what we're, what we're gonna engage in and also bring a, a guest on that I, I've had many a conversation with and really enjoy and uh, think the world of him. So I uh, can't wait for you guys to meet
0: him. Absolutely, let's introduce that guest right now. His name is Joe Piccarilli. He is the Managing Director and CEO of Rosewater Energy Group. Joe, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, it is absolutely my pleasure and I am both humbled and flattered to be on a podcast with Troy because since we've gotten to know each other, we've had excellent conversations and have this view that we share about what's going on in the future of energy. And I, I'm looking forward to this discussion.
0: I am really looking forward to it as well. I think this is going to be an exciting one. And uh, let's dive in, guys. So, uh, Troy, just to start off, remind our listeners who Pantech Design is and, and what it is that you do in the energy space.
1: So Pantech Design was formed originally as a uh, software and hardware development Uh, company uh, where we basically design and engineer and program uh, large-scale home automation and building automation systems. And we've been doing that for the better part of 15 years. But about three years ago, uh, we started to dip our toe a little bit into the uh, energy space. And upon dipping our toe, we are now all the way in the pool and we are all about uh, energy management and monitoring and uh, control of load and uh, devices and the like for Really, energy automation, which is uh, uh, an emerging technology or emerging uh, space, if you will. And, and the way I see it is it's kind of a convergence of, of what's going on in the energy industry and what's going on in the uh, home automation industry.
0: Absolutely. Now, now, Joe, you have a podcast as well called The Next Generation of Energy there for, with uh, Rosewater Energy Group, so people can go check out that podcast. But for the sake of this episode, uh, introduce us to Rosewater Energy Group and uh, give us a sense of where you fit into the overall energy puzzle as well.
2: Uh, I'll try and do that without taking up too much time or, or many words. Uh, I founded Rosewater Energy in 2012, and it was really, I first have to set the table I am about to get my 50-year pin in the consumer electronics business. I've been in this business for a long, long time and have been in every aspect of the business. And in sort of 2010, I noticed that there was a tremendous amount of dissatisfaction with all of this really cool automation stuff that we were putting in people's homes. And I began to research the source of that dissatisfaction. You know, I found it wasn't bad product. It wasn't bad installation. And... Uh, analysis, it was really about power quality and poor power quality and its effect on all of these wonderful things we were putting in the house. In 2012, when I founded Rosewater, I said, I am going to design and build the very best, most complete energy management power quality device in the business. And that's how Rosewater was founded. It took four years of engineering and testing to develop our current product, So we've started marketing the product in 2016. And obviously I'm not objective, but we market a product that really is a do everything product. Large scale battery backup, perfect power conditioning, protection from lightning, and the ability to integrate renewables. So we market a very, very complete home energy solution at the panel level.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'm excited to get uh, each of your insights on this podcast today as we dive in and talk a little bit more about the aging grid in North America and talk about the importance of clean and constant power. And so uh, you're both just so uniquely qualified to comment on these issues. And so let's dive on into some of our topics and some of the things that we want to cover today. So Troy, what are some of the signs that the grid in North America is aging and struggling to keep pace with energy demands these days?
1: I'm going to speak on a personal level uh, because I believe it. it's really geographical when it comes down to it. I think that uh, different locations have different challenges and problems with uh, with the grid and it's relative to, you know, surroundings and the like. And, alike. and uh, one of the things that we deal with in Texas, it's a, a pretty serious issue and it's power outages because of how hot it is. Um, Texas can you know, get upwards of uh, 105, 108 uh, with a heat index of 115 or more. Uh, in fact, this week uh, alone, tomorrow, uh, in fact, we're going to be at 105. And so what happens when, when that occurs, and especially now with what we're dealing with uh, by you know, being in the home a lot, everybody's got to use their air conditioners. And when these air conditioners all decide they're going to kick on and stay on and have to run for an extended period of time, you will see the grid go down in in certain locations. And it t- typically happens at the at, at the sub, I guess, sub level, not the actual power plant itself, but a, a kind of a sub plant. And, you know, w- that's just one small aspect of of an aging grid from a transmission and distribution standpoint that is missing some of the, the capabilities to serve the need or the demand that's being created. And, and, and I know Joe's spent a lot of time like really digging down deep onto that. And so I'm going to pass this over to Joe because he's going to have even, even more information than I do in regards to that.
2: Troy, like you, I live in a very warm state. I live in Florida. And like Texas, Florida has been gaining in population Over the last decade, I think Texas is now number two in the country. Florida is number three. We actually have more people than New York. And when you look at the fact that it is virtually impossible to build a new power plant, and you have areas of the country that are not only warm, but you have people moving into those states, then you have people concentrating on the coasts in those states, you really then begin to tax a system at the generation level. There are a couple of other interesting aspects. I I was looking this up the other day, actually, a friend of mine sent me this stat. From 1990 to today, the average new home is 30% larger. And to your point, Troy, that air conditioning load on 30% more square feet is just becomes gigantic. So we have that. And then, of course, as Troy pointed out, you have issues at the substation level, many of which are caused because we don't have the political will and source for a different channel, different show, to build infrastructure. And we have an, so we have an aging infrastructure, we can't build new generation, and we have populations that are living in much bigger homes, currently staying at home, creating all kinds of stresses along the grid, which affect power quality. Even if they don't create an outage, I mean, I watch in my house, and I know FP and will deny it, but I watch voltage sags drop to forty volts routinely. It's pretty weird, but those are the causes that I see.
0: Right. So, what effect? And Joe, this gets at what you're, what you've been discussing. What, what effect does poor power quality have on microprocessors and IoT smart home devices and that sort of thing? So, Troy, what, kind of, what, how do you respond to that question?
1: Oh, it's got a tremendous effect. Um, in, in fact, one of the one of the things most people don't understand about power is uh, that devices can operate when they are being improperly powered. Uh, it's not like they just shut off when they're being improperly powered. They can be getting dirty power, and essentially, what what's happening to that device is it is degrading the device's kind of capability to last as long as it can Um, and it it creates thermal problems internally i mean if you're if you're not providing enough power to a device the capacitors inside the device can't charge and discharge properly Um, and every little component that makes up the device is getting stressed by virtue of having to do its job under duress and that stress is going to degrade the uh, device's ability to last as long as it maybe was intended to to last. Uh, so that that's just one small small thing. Um, there's there's a lot more that goes into that uh, when you start looking at you know we looking at low voltage maybe situations where we're not powering a device properly, but you can also hit it with too much right, and and now you've got another problem, and you've got you're stressing the device in a different way. So that that that's one piece of it. But, you know, one of the things that Joe's been doing for so many years is, you know, how he's got this innate understanding of what good, clean power does to, to devices and what dirty power does as well. So, Joe, I know you've done a ton of looking at that. Um, I'd like to hear more from you about about that.
2: Uh, it, it has been sort of my passion of in the last almost decade and, and looking at the effect on microprocessors in the home, particularly as we proliferate. Uh, Troy, you and I have seen this growth of microprocessors doing everything, locking doors, shades, uh, environmental control, voice controls. Everything requires microprocessors these days. And as the environment for microprocessors is is compromised, and as, as Troy correctly pointed out, the longevity and reliability of those microprocessors are compromised. But you also have to think about microprocessors in terms of what happens, they operate very quickly because we are feeding tons of data across the network. And like anything else, if they are out of their comfort zone, they begin to slow. You know, all of a sudden they don't have the processing power or for a very, very short increment of time, they may lose a data pack. And a short increment of time in the microprocessor world, you're talking about a microsecond and you could lose a data packet and all of a sudden you lose a data packet now oh my god i'm going to react incorrectly or i'm going to lock up and you start to see the compromise in performance and longevity and then in the long run i mean we have created all of these devices and we've we've worked so hard at doing this for ultimately client satisfaction you know our clients the end user the homeowner buys all of these things to create a lifestyle And what happens when these microprocessors become compromised is the client satisfaction becomes severely compromised. And because you can't see power, no one blames the utility, they look at it and say, well, you know, the device must be bad or the technology must not be ready. And they couldn't be further from the truth. So it it really has a, a detrimental and cascading effect on client satisfaction for all this great technology and everything it can
1: do. I want to toss an analogy out there for a second to support what, what Joe's talking about there, because I, I think a lot of people understand cars, uh, at least most people do, and how they run and, and the like. And if you could imagine uh, these customers that, that Joe's talking about, our customers, they're they're spending uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on on devices. And it's no different than a customer going to the Ferrari dealership and buying a $350,000 Ferrari, parking it in the garage and oohing ooh, and on over it and then getting out and driving it and putting 80 octane gas in it. What do you think that Ferrari is going to do when hmm. it's getting improper gas? It is going to run terribly. It's going to cause the equipment to fail. Uh, it's there's going to be all kinds of problems. And so it's very very much like that. You know, if you're going to feed it's foundational to all of these devices, all these microprocessors and all these things. Good power is a foundation. It is literally like you you feed dirty power to devices, you're 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 building the house on sand. That's the foundation is sand. And you everybody knows that ain't gonna work. So you've got to have a good foundation and a solid foundation, and power is really where that foundation is. That's what's gonna make a device die early or last forever.
0: You know, Troy, that's a that's a really good point. As you guys were were describing um the effects of um, uh, of dirty energy and, and and dirty power, and what you were what you were describing. It, what what I kept thinking about was you know if I were to eat uh, nothing but fast food and then try to go out on a run or something like that, my you know my my performance would definitely be degraded at that point, right? And, and so that 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 was the analogy I had in my mind as you were describing this was um if if you eat really poorly but then try to go out and perform athletic activities, you're not going to be able to perform at at your peak at your optimum level, right? And so, uh, but no, I think that that was a great way. Yeah. Well <laughs> said,
2: Tyler. <laughs> I think that's pretty good, Tyler. I might have to steal it.
0: Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> it shows you where, where my head is at. That I'm always thinking about hamburgers. But back, back <laughs> on topic, and back to back to energy. You know, when we're talking about poor quality, um, you know, and poor power quality. So let's talk about the benefits of a clean and stable power supply. So Troy, what are those benefits uh, of a clean and power supply for a clean and stable power supply for homes?
1: Well, like I said a moment ago, it's uh, it's 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 longevity, right? Uh, the device is going to well. It's not only longevity, but it's also runtime perfection. These devices are designed and built with microprocessors with specific clock speeds, with the ability and capability to do a specific job. And like Joe pointed out earlier, you start you know degrading its input uh, of power, and all of a sudden you've got now runtime issues where you know. We're, we're missing data packets. Think weird things are happening. That's another good way to put it because you almost can't pinpoint why the device is doing this weird thing or not doing what it's supposed to do. And so you've got the runtime issues that you you've got to deal with. But then again, the device may never expose the fact that it's got a problem. However, it only lasted for a year or two. And now we can look at that and go, okay. There, the problem probably was the foundation, uh, you know, the power uh, going in. So I, I think that's that's certainly some of it, but there's there's there is more to it. And so, you know, I think again, that's that's where jo- Joe's expertise comes into play uh, because of all the
2: studying he's done. So uh, Joe, add some to that. I'm sure you got plenty. First and foremost, I'm going to add. I mean, one of the things that intrigued me about what Troy was doing, because when I take take apart power and power quality, one of the things we have to talk about is there are power outages and everybody is familiar with power outages because we can see them. And then there are the power quality where the voltage fluctuates. And then the public at large is sitting there saying, how do I protect myself
1: Mm.
2: from power outages? And what is problematic is because there is a lack of understanding out there. People think that i'll put in some batteries and i'll run my whole house and that is very very difficult and very expensive to do but what can be done and what troy stuff does extremely well is if you are protecting yourself and isolating yourself from problems from the grid and the grid goes down you have to be able to very quickly change my load. Okay. What are things that are critical to me that I must keep running there so that my batteries last a long time? And Troy's company really has a very clever, very easy to implement system where if power goes down, your critical loads stay on and all of your non-critical, which are designated by the clients, turn off. And all of a sudden, as Troy was talking about in terms of runtime, I'm talking about runtime during an outage. With Troy's programming, you can maximize your runtimes, and it becomes extremely critical to those who are interested, particularly if you're living on the fringe where you have power outages. And I don't mean in fringe areas. I mean, if you're living on the outskirts of a very large city, chances are your power quality is worse than it would be downtown. Because... And the more you expand out, the less likely you are for the utility to build another substation for you or whatever is necessary for you to power houses that far away from wherever main generation is. And one of the things I really like about what Troy has been working on and what he designs and builds is it is really agnostic to product. I mean, with Troy's stuff, my product can work with it. Everybody's product, can work with it. But it is extremely important for the end user to be able to protect him or herself from problems, There, things are not going to get better for a while.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What we don't talk about very often, because it is politically incorrect to talk about it, as you add renewables to a grid, which has become very fashionable, the grid becomes less stable. Because if you imagine if you're, well, you're powering uh, the grid with a solar panel and a cloud goes by, well, the output of that panel could drop for ninety by 90% for some small amount of time that little bit of instability will cascade power problems across the grid. So the ability to protect yourself and have a properly engineered power quality system in a home is going to become critical. In fact, I predict there will be a field for power quality experts that will emerge over the next decade as an extremely important piece of engineering for a home. But you have to look at it. My devices really focus on, okay, I'm going to make whatever power exists Perfect. Troy's stuff is sitting there saying, hey, you have a power problem. You have an outage. I am going to give you optimum power longevity, and you must have both both of those things. So I think it is important that as we look at how to properly engineer a power quality system, it is not something that is, oh, just put in this device and it'll be fine. That's not the case. So I I think it's important that we break it out that way, because you have, in my mind, you have a person in Troy who has studied the ability to separate critical versus non-critical circuitry and how you do it and make it easy. And then you have somebody like me who spends all his time really talking about power quality and creating a device that will ensure it. And it is both pieces that become incredibly critical to the end user. Mm. Troy, would you agree?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You you just said something that really struck a chord with me that sort of ties a lot of what we're talking about together. Uh, you said insure it, and that it, insurance man, we we spend oodles and gobs of money in case something happens, right? I mean, we we do. We uh, your car insurance, you get your home insurance, you get your life insurance, and you got your. I, I just bought my daughter a horse. We have horse insurance. I didn't even know that was a thing. But <laughs> the, the point is that insurance is is a real thing, and people use it this essentially what we're really discussing here is like it's power insurance it's it's insurance for the lifestyle of an end user or a homeowner or whatever and if we're if we're doing right by them you know like joe was saying you know if we're engineering these things properly we're doing right by the customer we're putting the customer in the best possible position to deal with whatever comes their way with regard to power whether it's a cloud going over whether it's a Uh, an outage, whether it's severe weather, wind, fire, you name it, all these things start affecting power and they've got all this expensive stuff in their house and all of a sudden they're having problems with devices and and the like because of brownouts and whatnot. By properly engineering a solution that not only provides clean and perfect power all the time and can ensure that is going to happen and monitoring it, managing it, and controlling it under different circumstances, man, you, you've got the holy grail there. And the customer has the best possible insurance policy against their lifestyle and the amount of money they've spent on all this stuff in their homes.
0: So by by bringing up batteries, you guys took me right to the next question right where I wanted to go. So what are, what are the differences between home battery storage for backup and a zero transfer time, uninterruptible power supply?
1: wow that's a great one because um we actually had to do special things in our device because of this very this very thing i'm going to talk about there is uh something called a transfer time and different things like generators and batteries and the like have a transfer time and essentially what this transfer time is doing is it is disconnecting you from the grid itself and then building what is called a microgrid or sort of your own grid internal based on that battery feeding power. Now this transfer time, let's talk about a generator for a second. Some generators take a good five, 10, 15 minutes even to turn on and spin up and prepare themselves to then be able to supply power to a home that has gone off grid. Then there's devices out there, other batteries and and the like, that might have transfer times of like 100 milliseconds. And when I say that against 15 minutes, that sounds ridiculously fast. However, here's something that most people don't know. That's an eternity to a microprocessor. The the devices that have microprocessors and the like in them, they, they don't have the capacitance really to withstand even that 100 millisecond transfer time. So in our product, we actually had to put in a a little UPS so that we could make sure that Adapt Energy and and its microprocessor is there to do its job during even a hundred millisecond transfer time. Because UPSs, if there's a transfer time at all, some of them don't have to have a transfer time, some of them do, might be somewhere between two to five milliseconds. That's how quick it sort of switches over. But with Rosewater, What's cool about that is it's an always on. It it literally is your you're, the devices that, that Rosewater is powering are actually being powered by perfect clean power because it's always coming from the Rosewater unit, not from the grid. That's what changes things. And there is no transfer time. If the grid goes down, okay, you don't notice a thing. So that that's what's really kind of cool about the way Joe has engineered. His his battery system because having no transfer time means that you know you you just never see a blip at all. But that's the major difference there between sort of a a generator
2: or a battery with a transfer time and what Rosewater brings to the table. The zero transfer time and it's something we're quite proud of is not inexpensive to do, but it is, from my point of view, really the critical piece and what separates. A device that can create perfect power from all other what troy is talking about and what we do is our batteries are always creating the power for the house the house never directly sees greater generator power in fact we convert all of that without getting too deep into the weeds we convert all of that to dc because a battery is a dc device and all of that power fits directly into our batteries and our batteries are always driving the inverters which means it doesn't matter what happens to the power that we're converting to DC. It can go up in voltage, it can go down in voltage, it could shut off, and the output is never affected. Mm. And it's interesting, the only way our clients know that power is out when (laughs) it's happened in a couple of instances is they will get an internet warning on their phones saying your power is out. Otherwise, they would never know. You would never see a glitch. You would never, you would never notice it. That's why I can guarantee perfect power. I mean, I, we can go deep into the weeds as to what I do to ensure that the power is low noise, ultra low distortion. But it is that that makes the difference. And it's tempting to have it, and it's it's great without being able to in a full power outage without being able to allocate it to critical loads. Uh, People have difficulty in terms of batteries or just a fixed bucket of electrons and people will empty it very quickly. So that's what makes the marriage of our kinds of our two products, mine and Troy's, so important in the long run.
0: From listening to you guys, I, I want to throw out a hypothetical um, for you all to to discuss. But let's say let's say that Troy and Joe are put in charge of solving uh, solving North America's energy problems. Um, this this might go way too wide and, and and way too deep. But but you know what what sorts of things do you think um, need to be done, and how do we combat this issue in the future? And and what sorts of things do you guys think are are parts of the solution moving forward
1: well, I think one of the first ones is is wrangling renewables I, I think renewables are fantastic you know solar and wind and the like but the problem we have with renewables right now and Joe touched on it earlier is that they're dirty right they they don't produce a perfectly clean you know sine wave of power they did they're not 60 Hertz perfect and all that it just that can't happen and so you take that and start dumping that onto the grid more importantly, at the wrong times, because the reality is most of the time, at least it's been this way traditionally until recently, but most of the time we're generating all of our power from sun during the day when people aren't home to use it. So homeowners get all excited about the fact that they're selling their power back to the grid. Well, the utility companies hate it and they should because they've sort of been mandated or required to pay for that power, because the federal government doesn't understand that that, that solar power is actually not good for the grid. And so they, they, they've got to pay the consumer for the power, then, in, then they have to turn around and they've got to clean the electrons up so that they can run smoothly alongside all the other power that's, that's moving around. And so it, it just, it causes all kinds of grief. So if we could somehow put in anytime almost require that every solar system does have a home battery of some kind or some method of cleaning that power up before it gets dumped back onto the grid that's a, that's a start in in helping not only the consumer but also helping the utility companies and and the like and then you you start taking what Joe and I do and putting that into people's homes that changes the game dramatically because now we're we're properly managing power see we're properly using the clean power that we not only can generate but we can store and we can sort of use it at the right time and then maybe never even need to put power that we've generated personally from solar or wind or whatever back onto the grid and when you start doing that you're de-stressing the grid. The requirement on the utility companies is lower. And furthermore, they're not gonna have to be building additional power plants and peaker plants or spinning up peaker plants that are typically petroleum based, which adds more emissions to our overall footprint in the world. It, it just changes everything. So I think that's just a few things that we could be doing to, to help make things better. And it comes down to being able to have clean power, uh, that we generate and and manage clean power.
2: I totally agree. I think, Tyler, one of the things that people don't think about because we're used to utilities being centralized and we're used to government control of, of things like utilities, the answer in the future is highly decentralized energy storage and highly decentralized use of renewables, decentralized to the point of self-consumption right down to the home level. I have spent a lot of time, and in fact, I've commissioned a university study. I commissioned it about, oh, I don't know, six years ago to prove my numbers. This will be the source of a long long paper at some point. But if you could spread batteries and a renewable source down to the residential level, you will harden the grid. You will allow the grid to manage power during peak power usage far better because a little known fact, factoid about energy, the utilities produce the same amount of energy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is called a base load, And they do it because it is the most fuel efficient way to run the generators. It also means the generators will last longer. Well, at night, that energy is not being used. And in fact, the utilities pay to generate it and literally shunt it to ground. They throw it up. If by using equipment like mine and Troy's, you take that energy and you store it in residences at night. You charge a nominal rate for it, which is much higher than paying to get rid of it. And then during the day, because Troy mentioned a peaker plant, when there's not enough power for your commercial use or power grids are stressed, you can manage grid by turning people's houses off and having them run on batteries. And that's how I see the future. Hmm. Because it It allows us, I mean by my calculations, if I just capture half of that energy that goes to waste, just half, that means you could create 12.5% more power than we have today without one more barrel of oil, one more cubic foot of gas, one more lump of coal, or one more split atom. And quite honestly, I can't think of anything that would help the environment better or faster than that. We could get deep in the weeds, and Troy and I could sit there, and we'll have this conversation with each other for the next three hours. Tyler, and you'll be listening, (laughs) but the audience will be asleep. But it is a fascinating way to look at it.
1: Bottom line is, we're we're curtailing, is what that's called. When you shove it into the ground, we're curtailing more energy than like we create even during the day because people aren't using the energy, and 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 there's no place to put it. And the only thing that can solve that is storage but there are not any storage mechanisms that are large enough to store that much curtailed energy. It's just, it's megawatts of power. And so that's where Joe's point about decentralization is so, so important. I I truly believe that as the builders and developers catch on, and as the homeowners or the consumers catch on, having a home battery changes so many things Yeah, every home that's being built is going to have it. It's going to almost, in my opinion, it should probably be a requirement. And and it's just got to get to the get to our federal government the right way so that they can understand how this is going to change the dynamic for the utilities and the infrastructure requirements that are going to become necessary based on demand. There's demand going down; it is only going up, and so it's going to have to happen somehow. And if we could focus on Like Joe was saying, what we're getting rid of, what we're wasting, if we could just focus on the waste and how to solve that one problem and it's battery storage that does it, man, it changes everything.
2: I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I suspect within a decade, battery storage will be as common in a household as a dishwasher.
1: Agreed. Wow. Agreed. Agreed. Once once it gets figured out, right, Joe? Once we, guys like you and I and, and, and the others out there that are really promoting it, once people figure it out, then it's going to become commonplace. Exactly.
0: Well, I, uh, I'm i looking forward to that becoming a reality and uh, and hope to see it very soon. Troy Morgan from Pantech Design and Joe Piccarelli from Rosewater and Energy Group. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today and talking a little bit more about the importance of clean and constant power. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Likewise, man. Appreciate the time. Uh, yeah. Can't wait for the next one. Joe, man, I love chatting with you. We're going to do this more, right? Promise me we will. Uh, We will. You
2: You only being a guest on my podcast as well, Troy, it's always a pleasure, and I'm honored to be your guest. Yes, sir. Consider it done. Talk soon.
0: All right, and everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Adapt Energy, a Pantech Design podcast. We'll be back soon with more episodes, like Troy mentioned. We're going to keep doing these, and uh, but y- what you can do to stay up to date with everything going on in this, uh, in this area, in this industry is to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Make sure to go do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and also visit the Pantech Design website uh, for more information. And of course, we'll be back soon with those episodes, but until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.